If you've been on the fence about registering for the Child Discipleship Forum, now's the time. You still have a chance to save on registration. Through August 25th, you'll save $50 per seat when you sign up. You can come as a solo act, or you can save a couple hundred bucks when you bring your whole ministry team. The CDF experience is something you'll want to talk about and process with other people who are fueled, like you, by forming strong faith in the kids in your community. Join us in Nashville September 21st and 22nd, or sign up to attend online. You'll hear from spirit-filled, Bible-minded speakers like Sam Luce and Rebecca Lyons. Chinway Williams is talking about childhood trauma and what it means for discipleship. Ed Stetzer will be speaking again at this year's forum. You really need to be there. So go to childdiscipleshipforum.com and register today so you don't miss out on our best summer pricing available. This is the Child Discipleship Podcast powered by Awana. My name is Ross Cochran, and I am so glad you're here. Thank you for listening wherever you are. Thank you for watching. If you are doing that, I am very glad you're here. Uh, I am joined by Taylor Johnson. Taylor, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thanks, Ross. I'm excited to be here. So, Taylor, you are the uh, next gen and children's minister at the church at Station Hill yep. uh, in Tennessee. And uh, But tell folks, as we get started, a little bit about your ministry, sort of the scope of what you do there. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> for some background, I've, I started out in uh, kids ministry when I was 17 as an intern with no cool. intentions of it being a long-term thing. You know, when you're 17, uh, you have a really limited uh, view on kids ministry. And I kind of viewed it as glorified babysitting with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. And uh, over the course of the next few years, obviously, uh, my eyes are open to um, how important kids ministry is in the life of the church, in the life of families uh, and for the kingdom. And um, so, yeah, I've never left. And uh, but as about as of about two years ago. I'm still doing hands-on kids ministry, but now I'm kind of in a dual role where I'm still uh, the children's minister at our campus, but now I'm also the next-gen minister. So that just means that I oversee everything birth through uh, high school uh, and all the ministries uh, in that in those uh, different areas. So, Well, I'm really glad that you and I get a chance to connect, um, especially during VBS season. <laughs> yeah. um, how's, uh, how's everything going there um, as you uh, look forward to this this time? It's great because VBS is over for us. So we we have okay. yeah, Super Bowl is over. No. Uh <laughs> now I think everybody listening to this podcast understands uh what I mean by that. I love VBS. It is simultaneously the most fun week, but also most exhausting week. And as you know, mm-hmm. you know, there's you know, half of a year or more of planning that goes into uh VBS. And so I'm on one hand, I'm sad that it's over. On the other hand, uh I'm glad that it's over, uh, because now I have a life again. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds about right. Yeah. So um, I mentioned that for two reasons. One, because you and I are talking thanks to uh, our mutual friend, Mark Campbell. Yeah. Um, and I reference him for two reasons. One, because I know he's listening. And two, because odds are there's probably 50 to 99% of the audience who knows Mark Campbell. That's how many people know Mark. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but one of the benefits of VBS is frankly the amount of just hours of discipleship yeah when you are looking at sort of the typical church calendar typical rights of church attendance in 2023 
Um, and you compare that to what it looks like when you put a child in a context like VBS. And there are other examples of this. I'm just using VBS as a handle. So don't, don't, uh, you can send your angry emails to Ross at a one.org <laughs> if this doesn't apply to your church context. But, um, you, it helps sort of form and disciple kids in a way that, um, you may not get to over the course of a year because of what has changed and how kids' relationship with the church has changed. Mm -hmm. um, you've been doing this since you were 17. I'm curious how you look at sort of the long view of what's changed about kids and their relationship with discipleship and what stayed the same since you got in. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think immediately right off the bat, one of the things that's changed is just um, how frequent or I guess infrequent uh, families are at church now. You know, when I was growing up, um, you know, we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. And honestly, many yep. other nights of the week because my family had a key because it was a small church. Um, sure. But I think, you know, I, I may butcher this, but I remember uh, Tom Rainer several, several years ago released a statistic that something about, you know, 20 years ago, the average family attended church. I think 2.8 times a month or something like that. And now um, it's, I think like once a month, the average, the average yeah. family. Most um, stats will tell you it's between one and 1. 1.4. Yeah. Or 1. So, 6. so just right there, we've seen a drastic shift, um, you know, in, in attendance. Um, and so that's, that's one immediate thing. And so with that, you know, in terms of what you were saying a minute ago with, with the intensive discipleship that happens at VBS, it's one of the one of the greatest things about VBS is is that um, you know kids will come for five days and hear the gospel for for three hours for five days, which is incredible. Uh, whereas for kids to get that same amount of discipleship on a Sunday morning, they would have to come for six to nine months, maybe even longer, um, because of how infrequent a lot of families are coming to church now for various reasons. So that's that's an immediate thing that sticks out. I think. Yeah. And the second part of your question and getting to what are things that are the same, <clears throat> I think um, families still need to be equipped. Parents still need to be encouraged. Uh, parents still need to be challenged to, to continue to discipleship, uh, to disciple their kids at home. But I do think, at least in my experience, it seems like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we were really trying to help parents understand that their, their role as a primary disciplers in the home. And then from there, the shift was, OK, now that they know, um, how do they put that into practice and what does that look like? Um, and sure. so but I feel like for some, you know, so I feel like that's the same. You know, we're still in that kind of phase of trying to educate families and helping them understand their role in the home, um, that it's not the church's role to to be the primary disciples, but that's God's design for parents to be the ordained um, disciples of their of their children, but also how the church can can continue to come alongside them and partner with them um, as they figure out you know this journey of discipling their kids because it's not an easy task. So I feel like that's that is one thing that has stayed the same at least in my experience that there's still an element of we're still having to educate some families that this is your role and we want to be a part of that, but it's ultimately on you uh, to be the primary faith trainers of your kids because you're with them way more. Uh, than the church is. But with that, you know, how can we come alongside you and equip you to put that into practice in the home? Because 
it's great for them to know it, but unless they put it into practice and actually are discipling their kids at home, it doesn't really do them any good. So I think that's something that stayed the same. I think probably will for a long time. It's something that, you know, discipling your kids at home is not, it seems like a daunting task. Um, a lot of parents, like they're like, I know I should and I want to, but I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing. Uh, I'm scared I'm going to lead them the wrong direction. So just, I think that's something that, that uh, has stayed the same over the course of a, last 20 or so years that I've been doing kids ministry. So there's so much to dive in there. I want to focus on um, an element, maybe a root of what you talked about there, which is this idea of just how busy families are, how yep. full uh, family schedules are. And I want to use an example. You, you give a sermon, which is how, uh, how Mark Campbell first forwarded you, you over my way, which is, uh, it was called Influence with Love, which is linked in the show notes wherever everybody's listening. In it, you talk about um, lots of different things. You talk about kids' identity. You talk about what's forming our kids. And you talk about what the sort of root causes and challenges of this over-busy, overburdened schedule are. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I want to talk about that, but I want to talk first at sort of the top level, the top layer of that first, which is school sports. Now, let's unpack school sports for a little bit because when I say school sports, there is a lot of different responses. First, there are some people who are listening right now who are cheering, right? Because they're like, finally, someone said the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but then there's also some people who are saying, uh, you know, I'm literally driving my kid to school sports right now. I'm not doing anything wrong. Like, what are you talking about? Can you help sort of whether it's, you know, sharing some of what you shared uh, in that message, mm -hmm. like walking folks through the scope of youth sports, but more importantly, I'm not trying to pick on youth sports, yeah. the impact of an overburdened youth sports schedule and how that relates to church. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in my sermon, you know, I, I started off, you know, when I got to the section where I was going to talk about sports, you know, I started out said this, what I'm about to say is not going to be incredibly popular <laughs> because I know, <laughs> I know a lot of people are super into sports and I am too. Like, you know, and the next thing that I said was, listen, I'm a sports guy. I grew up playing sports. I still watch sports. My kids play sports. So sports inherently in and of themselves are not a bad thing. Sports yeah. are not I played sports. I wasn't good at any of them. But I played all <laughs> yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah. The sports are not the problem. You can take any good thing and use it in, to the point where it becomes a negative thing. And I think that's what's happened with sports is we've taken a good thing as sports and we've made it an ultimate thing. Um, and so I think that's where part of the problem comes in. Um, you know, and, and I quoted in my sermon uh, to help illustrate how big youth sports is in America. And I shared, you know, Richard Ross, who's a um, he's a professor at Southwestern Seminary. He's kind of a leading guru in student ministry. And I heard um, I went to a conference in April of 2021 and he shared this statistic um, that families are spending 10 percent of their annual income on club sports and fees, equipment, travel, all that. What that means is families are tithing on sports. Yeah. 10 percent. Um, which is a staggering number. Um, and I had a lot of families come up to me and ask me about that afterwards. Um, and I think, and I, and again, I'm not at all trying to cast a stone 
against sports because I love sports. Um, you know, I watched a baseball game last night. My kids play sports. So, again, I'm a sports guy. I grew up playing sports the whole time, my, my entire life, um, and all through high school. So it's not a shot at sports. But the problem is is that it's a real-life example um, of an ultimately of an idol that we have in America, not just in our families, but it's a, it's an idol for America just in general, not just families, but in the context of church and ministry, specifically kids ministry, student ministry, it's something that every kids pastor, student pastor has seen and is dealing with because it's, it's, it's so widespread. And so again, we're not trying to nitpick on sports, but it's just an easy, tangible example of the greater problem that we're so busy uh, which which goes back to like what you're saying a minute ago, a greater identity issue. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, it's again, sports aren't inherently the problem, uh, but we're again, we're, we're taking something that's good, you know, like sports and we're elevating it to an ultimate thing instead of keeping it in its appropriate place. Yeah. And we're not, we're not the only ones talking about this. Yeah. Um, I want to keep diving in on this for a little bit because I want to connect the two things we've talked about here, which is, you know, you are a pastor and I am a guy who hosts a podcast, right? Like we're going to level set expectations here. We are not um, uh, professors, statisticians. Um, that is, we are speaking specifically within our lane. But because of that, what I'm curious about is you see what the impact is of kids who are connected to an idol. Mm-hmm. whether it is school sports or the busyness of any sort of club or um, academic pressures or what it, the ways in which it is, it is challenging to be a kid today. So when a child comes into your ministry and maybe they are only there once a month or maybe they are um, coming in and they're particularly distracted – what are the tangible ways where those kids are impacted because of, I'm not going to say because of school sports, mm. but because of the impact of the fact that families are tithing to school sports or things like this? Um, I think from what I've seen, because I've, I've now been in ministry long enough that I've seen kids as you know, as early as preschoolers and elementary school now, many of whom are graduated from college and have their own families. So I'm officially old. Um, yeah. Yeah. But because I've been able to see kind of the quote lifespan um, of someone go from a really young child, go through my ministry in kids ministry, go into high school, college, and then start their adult life. I feel like I've been able to have a pretty good a set of examples of how this fleshes itself out in the long term. Um, and I feel like one of the tangible ways that we see this, um, this kind of come to fruition from not being in church on a regular basis is when they get to be, you know, in high school, their interest in church drops tremendously. They go to college, their interest and involvement in church continues to decline. And again, this is a broad stroke. This isn't always. This isn't uh, an, um, kind of a universal rule. Um, but in terms of what I've seen from 20 years of ministry is a lot of kids, the kids who are plugged in the most, who are not only, who are not just at, uh, passive uh, participants or passive attenders, 
but engaged attenders and engaged in the life of the church. They're involved in the life of the church, not just to come and, and warm a seat on Sunday morning for an hour and then, and then leave, but the ones who are passionately participating in the life of the church on a regular basis are the ones who typically, not always, but typically are the ones who stay in church long-term. The ones who are in church the least tend to be the ones who are in church the least when they become adults, because that's what was modeled for them when they were kids. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. If you've heard about childdiscipleship.com, then you've heard it's chock full of resources for kids ministers, parents, anyone raising kids to be lifelong Christ followers. The site's almost a year old now, and like any other one-year-old, whoo, has it grown. If you head to childdiscipleship.com today, you're going to find simple ways to weave faith into everyday summer activities. You're going to find questions and conversation starters to ask your kids after church to help continue the conversation around child discipleship. You're also going to find tools to walk kids through gender identity questions, a biblical guide for anxiety, and resources dedicated to answering the question, how do I share the gospel with kids? Resources and articles and podcast conversations are constantly being added to the site. So go ahead and bookmark it and make childdiscipleship.com your go-to for equipping yourself and your team to form lasting faith in kids. Hey, before we get back to this episode, I need your help. You know, we want this podcast to serve you and your ministry in the best way possible. But to do that, I need to learn a little more about you. So wherever you're listening, you'll see a link for a survey. And if you answer those questions about yourself and your ministry, that will dramatically help the show. And to make it even more worthwhile, we'll randomly select a few folks who fill out the survey and thank them with an Amazon gift card. Full details and rules are in the show notes. So thank you for listening. And now let's get back to the conversation. And so I think one of the things that, you know, I've had conversations with parents before, um, where they're, they're living in this tension where they want, they, they have a desire to be at church more, but they're, they're dealing with this tension of my kids want to play sports. I have coaches calling saying, Hey, your son will be a great third baseman for our travel team. But if we play travel ball, that's going to take us out of church for six months over the course of the year. Well, ultimately I understand what that pressure is like. Your kid is wanting to do it. His peers are wanting him to join the team. You got a coach saying, Hey, if he does this, he might have a chance to get college scholarships one day. Maybe he'll be a pro and all this other kind of stuff. And so I understand that pressure is real for parents because you want to please your kid. You want your kid to thrive. And if sports is the, one of the ways they can thrive, you want to give them that opportunity. Um, and culture is pulling it, parents in that way. Like, hey, your kids have got to be playing sports. They got to be going to a hitting coach. They got to be going to a pitching coach. They got to be going, you know, t- to a nutritionist. I mean, you got to be doing all this stuff. And I understand that that real that pressure, that tension as parents to pull them in into that is, is very real. But what I've had conversations with parents on the back end of that is you can't tell your your fifth grader, your fourth grader, your middle schooler, Jesus is number one. He is the priority in your life. But then say until but that's only the case until baseball season starts or mm-hmm. softball season starts or basketball or football or gymnastics. Fill in the blank. Lake season, you know, whatever. Anything, it doesn't even have to be sports, but 
kids understand really quickly what the true priorities in the family are because that's where you spend their time and money. And so eventually they're going to get to age where you say, is Jesus really the priority in our family? Because once spring gets here, we're gone for the next four or five months because we're traveling every weekend for ball. And again, there's going to be some people who don't like what I just said because they feel like I'm, you know, I'm singling them out saying, well, we travel, we play travel ball and we love Jesus and we go to church all the time. We have family devotions in our hotel and that's great. You know, and and I've heard of families who say, you know, we, we do travel and we miss out on church, you know, but we host Bible studies, you know, on Sundays for all the baseball players who want to come. That's also great. And you can leverage that. But again, I'm going back to the broad stroke for what I've seen the kids who, who continue on in their faith and are plugged in the church for the long haul are the ones who are plugged in and involved in church early on um, through their, through their early childhood years and into teenage years. Yeah. Cause I would, to speak directly to the family who is using that example of having the Bible study in the hotel of the travel, you are being incredibly intentional. Yeah. Like well done. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that level of intentionality is commendable. I say this all the time on the podcast. One of my favorite parts about working at Awana right now is I, I've never, there's never been a time in Awana's history where I could be less prescriptive. I would love to tell you what works for your ministry. It would be laughable for me to try. Yeah. So what I get to do now is just hit, bring on people like Taylor and talk about the mission and trust that the mission is going to carry the day and that the mission is going to help influence the methodology. Mm-hmm. But if you are sitting and having genuine Bible study, child discipleship focused conversations in a, La Quinta Inn um, <laughs> over uh, talking about, uh, you know, over before you have a travel baseball game. Great. What I am, what, where I and I would imagine Taylor loses sleep overnight is about the families who aren't doing anything. And what I would hope, and again, send your emails to Ross at awana.org. <laughs> Um, what I would hope families hear in that is that it's about being clear eyed because like you said, it's not just sports. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something where, again, I'm going to have you, uh, just put on more of your pastor hat and speak anecdotally rather than from, um, a place of like hard and fast, uh, statistics, because one of the things we were talking about before we started was I have this sense that it's becoming increasingly harder to be a kid today mm-hmm. than it was when I was a kid or when previous generations were a kid. And there's obviously, you know, in some extent, that's just kind of a fun thing for people to debate and uh, for uh, old timers to say, you don't know how hard it was for me, right? <laughs> like that's essentially what the product of this conversation can turn into. But what I see in the life of my own kids and the kids that I have um, relationship with is this pressure to achieve mm-hmm. that I don't remember having in my own life. I see an inability to accept failure, an inability to accept, oh, I'm still learning. And I'm curious if you see the same thing. I'm genuinely not sure what to do with this. 
but I see this growing achievement culture problem yep. that I think is related to what you and I have been talking about for the past 20 minutes. Yeah, it is. And I think the, <clears throat> I think parents are well-intentioned, but we are, you know, we're creating little achievers, um, you know, because, you know, even in school, you know, it's, you know, my, my, my daughter just finished kindergarten and there was this goal where if they read a hundred books over the course of the year, then there would be a prize, which it's incentivizing reading. They're learning to read. I think it's a great thing for her to strive towards. And it's a, it's a healthy thing. But, you know, when, when you, you know, have kids and they strive towards a goal, they hit the goal, which you hope that they do. And you reward them for that. Then they're learning. I get all this praise and I get this recognition and I get all this attention when I accomplish, when I achieve, when I win. And while that's not a bad thing um, to be recognized when you accomplish something that that you've worked hard for, that's that's not a bad thing at all. Um, But sometimes if we're not careful, we can create this little achiever syndrome where it's like, if I don't achieve, if I don't have perfect grades, if I don't have the best friends, if I don't bat first on in, in the lineup in baseball, if I'm not the quarterback, if I don't throw a touchdown, but I throw an interception, then I've let everybody down and I'm a failure. And so I, I don't know what the right answer to that is because I feel like, you know, it's a good thing for, to push our kids to, to achieve things and to achieve their goals and to have big dreams and to chase after those things. But at the same time, I do see, you know, in, in ministry, um, the kids are striving to do and be more than I feel like than I did when I was their age. I feel like there's just this, this outside pressure for them to constantly achieve and win and conquer and do. Um, so again, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is to find that, that healthy balance between the two, but I definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, this phrase that my wife and I have adopted is uh, each kid each year. And the idea being, you know, for us, it's this funny comparison. My oldest is seven and a half. My youngest is about to turn four when you and I are talking. And, you know, my wife and I did not do this on purpose, but my oldest is very much a girly girl. And my youngest is very much a, a boy boy. <laughs> um, he is constantly climbing on everything, yep. jumping on everything. Everything is trucks. And how quickly uh, can he figure out a way to run into something as fast as possible, mm-hmm. right? So this phrase became very obvious to us because they could not have been more different yeah. in their early development, right? But we are really hoping to be humble enough to remind ourselves of this as they continue to develop. But also to extend that to themselves within each other, where what worked for Abigail when she's a freshman in high school may not work for when she's a sophomore Mm -hmm. in high school. And that's part of part of our job as parents as the primary disciple maker in her life is to be that intentional and that involved and that present Mm -hmm. in her life where we can make that kind of space. And I think it comes back to what we were talking about before of like where I feel like I'm missing as a dad is when I spend too much of my time driving my kids places rather than talking to my kids while we're driving to places. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, um, going through, uh, bedtime and just kind of doing like going through the motions. Yeah. Right. 
And in the summer, when you and I are having this conversation, when there is less of a structure, it is tempting to sort of give yourself that like less of structure and become more buried in your phone. I certainly feel that temptation. Mm-hmm. I certainly have fallen into that temptation yesterday. <laughs> um, it is certainly very easy to do, but I would encourage you, dear listener, to consider the opportunity that this is actually the perfect time to be more intentional about discipleship. And that discipleship doesn't have to look like a Bible study that where it's this big focused thing that discipleship for your kids right now may look like going for a walk together and listening to them tell you about whatever show they're watching or whatever book they're reading or whatever um, their version of the achievement culture thing is that Taylor and I are talking about. Because the thing that you were talking about before that I was thinking about is like, it isn't just school sports. It's academic pressures. It's music pressure. There's a million different versions of this. And if your kids feel like they can talk to you about it, you want them to have that conversation with you rather than going other places because they will find answers to the questions that they have. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm curious as we begin to land the plane here, like where you, for folks who are still listening, where you began to really unpack the message, where really the meat of this message was, was about kids' identity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when you say kids are looking for identity, when they're trying to find identity, what do you mean, first off? Because I think it's really critically important we provide clarity mm-hmm. to a term like that. Yeah, I think it's a great question, but I think um, I think you can ask any kids pastor, any student pastor, um, to name maybe the top three issues that they see with kids and teenagers. Uh, and somewhere on that top three list is going to be an identity issue because so much, so much falls under the identity thing when you really think about it. But you know, and it's one of the in childhood and early childhood development. You know, that's one of the earliest things that kids will ask themselves is it's an identity question. They don't know it's an identity question, but it is. And the question is, who am I and where do I belong? And mm-hmm. culture and culture is working really hard to say your identity is about you and your identity is about how you feel and what you think. But scripture says that your identity is not about you. Your identity is about Christ. And that's where your identity comes from. And so Kind of an illustration that I shared in the sermon is that is that with, you know, it's a natural thing. And I think a lot of adults, you know, who are grown, have families and careers are still asking themselves that same question. Who am I and where do I belong? Where do I fit? Um, so I think it's something that's kind of innate in us is to figure out, you know, where we fit in this puzzle of life. Um, but the illustration I shared with is that, you know, you remember the old school merry-go-rounds on a uh, on a playground. You know, you get in the middle and everybody, you know, spins the thing in the middle and you hold on for a dear life. And the faster you go, the faster, you know, the centrifugal force is trying to pull you away from the, the merry-go-round. And I share the illustration to help uh, to help people understand. And I feel like that's how culture is pulling on our kids in terms of, of identity, sports, music, you know, whatever. And we're just trying as hard as we can as parents and as and as ministers of the gospel to help them learn how to hold on. 
and not give in and get pulled out and sucked out. And so I think, you know, in terms of identity and answering that question, you know, the thing is that, that, you know, I mentioned this in our sermon too, is that kids don't inherently choose their own identity. It's learned. And so whatever the parents are pushing at home, whatever the parents are passionate about, whatever the parents are prioritizing, usually tends to be the things that the kids identify with and identify as. And so whether that, you know, if you're, if you're pushing, you know, straight A's, like you got to have straight A's, well, the kid is likely going to end up becoming super, is going to uh, find their identity in their academics. If you're really pushing and prioritizing your child to be uh, an incredible musician and to do this, and they're going to have to be in an orchestra and they're going to find their identity in music. And so we have to be really careful in what we project onto our kids, because a lot of that uh, is absorbed at home. Uh, and it's not, again, not just at home, it's absorbed at school, it's absorbed everywhere else too. Um, but again, going back to that parents are the primary influencers, not just disciples, but they're the primary influencers. And so parents, you know, going back to the Proverbs 22, 6, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. Well, we we obviously use that in context of, well, if we do, if, you know, ultimately it's up to the Holy Spirit uh, to save our kids. Um, but we got to do our part to train them up in the way they should go. And the proverb is that when they're old, they won't depart from it. Well, that applies. That applies just in general. However, and whatever you train your child up in is usually the way they're going to go. Um, and so we have to be very careful in what we prioritize and what we point our kids to, because whatever we point them to, whatever we prioritize, whatever we say is this is important and whatever we model at home. A lot of the time, that's the way that they're going to go. And that's where they're going to find their identity in. Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard All Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.